Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My wife Judy and I had been married for just a couple of months. It was 1979, and uh, we had burned through everything we had saved before our marriage, <laughs> and we were uh, right on the edge of um, not even being able to pay the rent at our little apartment in University of Redlands, which at the time was $85 a month with utilities. We'd even taken the hardship loan from the school for $25, and that had gotten us through most of the month, but there we were, and I didn't know what we would do, and we were running out of time. And I was still new to the intentional part of faith. I mean, I had been a spiritual guy most of my life, and I knew the presence of God, and, and just in the last couple of years had become an intentional follower of Jesus, and my wife was busy showing me um, how to make that more real. So she grabbed one of the little uh, Naga Hyde kitchen chairs, you know, the chrome and Naga Hyde things that you see that are all speckled, and she turned it around and she said, come here, and she knelt on the floor right there in the middle of the afternoon in that little kitchenette, and she began to ask God to forgive us for not being as wise in our stewardship as we had meant to be, and to provide for us because we didn't know where else to turn. Hmm. I must confess, I prayed with one eye open to see if God was even uh, there to listen in that moment. It seems like such a silly thing to me. And we got up from our praying, and uh, the mailman came walking up to the back door of our apartment and knocked on the door and said, here, here's your mail. And I looked down, and there was a bill from the phone company. And I was thinking to myself, this is how you answer prayers. <laughs> What else are we going to do? And then I started getting ready to go and take care of uh, an errand that I needed to run, and I heard Judy say, oh, hey, look at this. And she had sliced open the phone bill. And apparently they had overcharged us when they installed our phone. And there in that envelope, while we were $6 short of our rent, was a check for $7.85. And I kind of had two thoughts at the same moment. The first was, okay, I see how this works. <laughs> and the second was, don't ever, ever, ever leave Judy. <laughs> you know, I tell that story, and I have told it on a number of occasions. And in this country, I get a lot of eye rolling. And there's always one clever fellow who comes and says, you know, the postmark on that envelope from the phone company was from a whole day before you opened it up. You know, it's just a coincidence, right? And there's people who want to explain away the activities and the miracle of God as if I had told the story to say that God was some cosmic vending machine you put in a prayer and you get out your candy. The whole point of the praying exercise in that moment was not that God would provide the money for us. God had already provided the money for us as God has already promised that he would do on so many occasions. The point was to teach us about the faithfulness of God you're missing that point. I have so much trouble getting past the cynicism and the skepticism of people in this country who can't hear the story of how God works in the hearts of people without 
saying, well, you know, what really happened was this and such, or, you know, pastor, that illustration was that and such. And, and fast forward, I find myself in Ghana, to, uh, 2011. My father had just passed away, and I was in a foreign country, a whole continent away from my mom and my family. And I was asked to preach at a revival service. And the people in that congregation in Ghana came with such an expectation that God would move. And not only that God would move, but that God would have a word for them, a word for them, a living word for them. And I told them that story in the middle of my sermon that night. And when I told about Judy opening the check and finding that, that money inside, a woman in her 60s just stood up in the middle of my sermon, in the middle of the congregation, and said, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his love. And then the whole congregation stood up with her. What a glory we find on our way. And we had to stop for a whole verse of trust and obey right in the middle of the sermon. You have my permission. Because I will tell you what happened that day. All the time from 1979 to 2011 vanished in an instant. And all the distance from that Naugahyde chair in Redlands to that warm, stuffy sanctuary in Ghana vanished in an instant. And I was caught up in a moment of eternity. That woman was the exhorter sent from God to her congregation to reinforce the word that I was sent to give to that congregation. And she tapped in to the great song of creation, the great song of redemption, the great song of the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit. She tapped into it, she brought the congregation into it, and she swept me up into it. And all my tears of grief that had been poured out in that African soil over my father disappeared in an instant because I knew the certainty of his place in heaven. And I knew that I would see him again. We were caught in a moment of eternity. The thrumming heartbeat of God's own self capturing us up. What a powerful thing. It is the soundtrack of our life if we will only let our ears hear it. But we have other soundtracks these days, don't we? And we, we can't help it. It starts from our very infancy. I can still remember my son when he was barely two years old sitting with my mother Put your arms around me, honey. Oh, you heard it too. And she would sing, huddle up and cuddle up with. Ah, oh, you know it. And he would snuggle right in and feel so secure and warm because this person who was his parents' parents was singing to him about not just about huddling and cuddling, but about the depth and warmth of love that enfolds you in its arms. It's good stuff. But not all the stuff in our soundtrack is for the best. <laughs> Check out this gem that I dug up from the middle of the last century. I know a ditty as nutty as a fruitcake. I know a tune as goony as a loon. Some call it pretty and some call it crazy, but everybody's singing this tune. 
Merzy dotes and dozy dotes and little lambsy ivy, a kiddly ivy too. Now, where were the 70-year-old adults saying, why doesn't somebody speak to these children about these nonsense songs? They all made sense to you. You're singing them right now in your head. You're not even going to hear the rest of this sermon because that song is in your head. It was the middle of the war years. A little silliness probably didn't hurt, but you get that in your soundtrack, and then everything else sounds foreign to you. Check out what came just 10 years later in the mid-50s. You can knock me down. You can step on my face. You could slander my name all over the place. You can do anything that you want to do, but uh-uh, honey, lay off my shoes. No, do anything but lay off of my blue suede shoes. Have you ever even seen blue suede shoes? I never have. <sighs> this stuff is supposed to be edifying to our spirits. Don't even get me started on the 60s and the 70s, right? Wrong. Because the great gift of God is that we get to add a verse about our generation, about what it means to be us. Yes, the oldies are wonderful, but if you're gonna sing the oldies, sing the really old ones. Sing the really old ones. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, your habitation. No evil will befall you. No scourge will come near your tent. Put that in your soundtrack and dwell on it. Meditate on it. Today we celebrate the songs of assurance that come to us from the ancients. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the 19th century, tells the story in the mid-1800s, when he first came to London, he'd barely been there 12 months, and the precinct, the district that he was told that he would be ministering in, was hit with the, uh, uh, an infestation of Asiatic cholera. And one by one, it began claiming the lives of the people. And he went at his new ministry with a youthful kind of ardor and zeal, and he kept going at it and going at it, but he said after a while, from every corner of the district, the wealthy and the poor, the strangers to him and his best friends, he was being summoned to come to the, to the graveside, summoned to come to their bedside as they were dying. He said almost every day he was summoned to the grave and would come walking back. And it began to wear on his spirit and he began to imagine that he himself was getting sick with the same disease. So the point where it was pressing down upon his spirit and he didn't know what he would do and he was about at the moment of total despair. And then, walking back from the graveside one night, one afternoon, he saw, wafered up in the window of the local cobbler, a little piece of paper. And he walked over out of curiosity thinking that it might be some kind of a promotion or a, a bill of some sort. And, and he looked at it and it said, because you have made the most high your dwelling place. Because you have made the Lord your place of habitation. No evil will befall you. No 
scourge shall come near your tent. And he said that he felt immediately the warmth of God return to him. And he knew that he was in the hands of God, in the midst of an outbreak of Asiatic cholera, that his heart and mind were now set on the Lord and his body would dwell secure. And he said, I will never, I will never cease giving thanks for the providence which made that man put that piece of paper in the window. And for it, I will be adoring the Lord as long as I live. To tap into the deep, ancient songs of enduring faith mean to trust the Lord in everything that we do. This 91st Psalm comes from the very beginning of the fourth of the five books of the Psalms. Verses are in books one through three, up through verse 89, Psalm 89. They anticipate one of the great traumatic events of the Hebrew people, their exile into Babylon the overthrowing of their kingdom, the destruction of the temple, and they're, carrying, they're being carried off into captivity. And then in, verse, in, in Psalm 90, the psalmist begins to explain why this has happened. And then in Psalm 91, our psalm for today, come the words of assurance. I can't overstate this enough. You have to read the 91st Psalm as a psalm of an exile, as a psalm of a refugee, as a psalm of somebody sitting in a tent with barely a thousand calories a day to eat, packed in squalor and waiting for those who question their need for asylum or anything else to come and gather them in. You have to hear it through their ears to truly understand its depth and its weight. Because, you see, the Israelite people had come to a certain understanding about their privileged place in the heart of God. And they had believed that God had given them the promised land of a, as a sign of their favor. And they had come to buy into what a lot of the Canaanite cultures in that day bought, which that is that God belongs to the land as surely as the people do. So this little piece of land is where God's people dwell because that's where God dwells. And when they were carried off into captivity, do you see what it meant to them? It meant that Marduk, the chief of the Babylonian gods, had defeated Yahweh, that their god was laid dead somewhere, and they now had no place to live, no home to call their own, and their god was finished. This is what they began to think. Well, what do we do now? And the prophets called them back, and the the people began to sense in themselves a resiliency that they had never known before. But wait a minute, we still have our psalms. We still have our songs. We still have our God. We still have our people. We still have our kosher. Yes, we may be refugees now, but God has not left us. The, the God of Israel is our dwelling place. Wherever we find ourselves, God is with us. The God of Israel is with us. A whole new expression of faith was born in those slums in Babylon. 
You've seen it happen again. Do you know why we had African slaves in this country? Because they could not successfully pacify the indigenous people here. The indigenous people here would fight to the death and if they were captured would just die from heart sickness. And they went all the way to Africa and found a culture with over a thousand years of farming tradition and said these people know how to do it. And they took some of them and they replanted them here in this country. And these people were pressed through an olive press that squeezed them down through every kind of hardship, demoralization, anything you can think of. And what came flowing out the other side but some of the richest, most profound, most meaningful music in our entire hymn book. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome one day. And all the other things that we now refer to as spirituals, pressed through the hardship of things that you and I cannot even imagine. Because they found in the midst of their hardships the deep, profound assurance that God was their dwelling place. And they put their heart in the place where God could care for them. The songs of assurance in our faith are not a song of assurance of prosperity or of physical health or of long life or of any of those kinds of earthly pursuits. They are songs of the assurance of God's presence with us in every circumstance so that nothing will befall us. <laughs> Boy, the devil really blew it when he came to Jesus and quoted from a psalm, from the 91st Psalm, Throw yourself off the building because he'll give his angels charge over you and they will bear you up lest you break your foot on a stone. They, what a misreading of the 91st Psalm. As they sat there in the ghettos of Babylon, they watched these Babylonian nobles being carried about the city on the litters lest they should bruise their foot against a stone or misstep, or place their foot in the adder's den. They had a bunch of slaves carrying them around. And the psalmist says to the Israelites, look at how those people are being carried around. This is how your God is going to carry you. You are no burden to God, but God will bear you up. God will carry you through, not through a spectacular moment where you skydive from the roof of the church, but through your everyday moments of life, God will carry you through your laughter and through your tears, through your hopes and through your dreams and through your failures, God will carry you and bear you up lest you should ever break your spirit against the stones. God will carry you. God is your limousine driver to take you through your life. And there are a lot of neighborhoods that we have to go through and God will be with you through everyone. And the devil tried to say to Jesus, if you're the son of man, if you're the son of man, throw yourself off and the angels will bury you up. And Jesus said, boy, are you late. I've been in this wilderness for 40 days and they have already borne me up. And you're not telling me anything new. And oh, by the way, you should never put the Lord your God to the test. 
I know there's a soundtrack in every one of our lives. I, I can't hear a U2 song without my heart leaping for joy. Did you know their lead singer lost his mother when he was 14? 14. A thing like that will cause some guy to drink or take up drugs or something else, but it caused him to shake his fist at God, to cry his Irish tantrum, to get up and wash his face and anoint himself and write some of the most stirring music of my generation. Music with depth and soul. Music that transcends the genre of rock and roll because it has tapped into the songs of the ancients. Those deep, powerful, wonderful songs of an enduring faith. All of that from a psalm. <laughs> as you read your scriptures, as you pray, and as you listen to the gentle whispers and the thundering shouts of the Holy Spirit upon your life, do know that God is creating a soundtrack with this one purpose in mind. Soon and very soon, to the deep songs of enduring faith, the Lord is going to ask you to contribute a verse. And I wonder what you will be writing there. I wonder. Please, God, let it have nothing to do with blue suede shoes. Amen.